<laughs> who's like, ah, yeah, eat up it. some nobles, gather some gold, and take it back to my horde. Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we unearth any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up, Khaleesi's not the only one who can lay waste to her potential subjects. We do some swooping of our own in Wrath of Dragons. Next, the Burna Nation continues as we aid the Dagron who needs no introduction, with double exclamation point enthusiasm in Trogdor. And lastly, we keep the epic dragon theme flying loosely as we chug along with Iron Dragon. I'm your host, Celeste Angelus. Now let's meet the rest of our fierce and fiery panel. I am Evan Bernstein. Hear me roar. I'm Ed Povolaitis, and even a mouth can help a dragon. I'm Joe Onfrey. It does not do to leave a live dragon out of your calculations, if you live near him. I'm Mike Grenier, and I'm drawn using consummate Vs. Hey guys, DragonCon is fast approaching, and we are really looking forward to it. Evan, tell them a little bit about it. DragonCon is legendary. Atlanta, Georgia hosts over 80,000 attendees per year, 30 years running. It is the East Coast's premier convention. And Which Game First will be there. Starting August 29th through Labor Day, September 2nd, we'll be checking out every inch of the enormous gaming room at the America's Mall. We have been invited to participate in panel discussions. We'll be checking out new releases along with projects still in development. It's a fantastic opportunity to interview industry professionals and to meet and speak with listeners such as yourself. So join our expedition and partake in our first live appearance at DragonCon in Atlanta, Georgia, starting August 29th. Woohoo! DragonCon, guys, let's hear some DragonCon. DragonCon. DragonCon! Hear me roar! Con! Continent V! <laughs> we definitely hope you can join us for all the fun. And don't forget, if you want more of us, the post-show zaniness continues every week with our new patron-only podcast, The Post Show. Now, on to more dragon epicness. <laughs> our first game up this week is Wrath of Dragons. Designed by Keith Rents, published by Catalyst Game Labs in 2018. Number of players 3 to 6, ages 13 and up. Playtime 60 to 90 minutes. Okay, when we found this lying amid the gold coins atop the treasure hoard, what were our first thoughts? Mike? I'm looking for fire, treasure, and mass destruction. Let's see if this delivers. Evan? A wrath of dragons. That's appropriate. You know, like a murder of crows or an army of ants, a wrath of dragons. Yeah. Ed? A resource destruction game. Hmm, destroying stuff will be a night change of pace. Carry on. <laughs> Joe? The map is six pie slices named Gallia, Gothia, Germania, Slavia, Scandia, and Britannica. Somebody really didn't want to work too hard on this game board. To heck with the cautionary tale of Game of Thrones. Let's burn some cities into submission. But before we fire up this conversation, Evan, tell us how it's played. In Wrath of Dragons, each player assumes the role of a dragon that, over the course of many centuries, flies into different regions of the old world to lay waste. 
Using a hand of action cards and moving around a game board map, each player's dragon burns settlements, scorches fields, snatches livestock, takes gold, and captures nobles. After six centuries of wrath have passed, the devastation, destruction, and fear that the dragons have caused is scored, and the dragon that earns the most victory points wins. Of course. Mm, yummy noble. Yum, yum. Tasty mm, noble. Livestock. <laughs> appetizer. So so after that description, I'm in my head picturing fire and brimstone and stuff, but like yeah, when I got yeah. into the game, <laughs> I felt like I was gathering little pieces of wheat and sheep <laughs> behind well, my screen. Mike, there's a reason for that. You see, it would have had to come with all sorts of fire hazard notices if there were actual mm. fire in a game, you know, and warning labels and other things. So I apologize that you weren't satisfied that there wasn't enough destruction in the actual game itself. Well, you are removing stuff off the map. So True. you're kind of like, oh, no, oh, these cities are nice. Let me burn and eat those and put those behind my screen. Thank you. Point for later. The gathering of the resources behind your screen, though, did feel a little like actually gathering them rather than burning yeah. them. Maybe if they could go into like a brazier or something, you know, something where it's an ash pile. Yeah. As long as we're talking about the components of the game, uh, they were basic and they were just okay. They, they were bold colors and basic shapes, which which is fine. But maybe a miniature set of dragons would have been just cooler. I don't know. Would have let a little more, you know, feel to the oh, game. Oh, instead of the flat dragon meeple? Yeah. Take your trash dragon and move it over there. Trash dragon! Trash dragon! <laughs> trash dragon. <laughs> Look for him at the bottom of the trash dragons. Yeah, I thought the dragon meeples were one of the coolest meeples in the game, though. They're really elaborately carved and they look nice as compared to, say, the houses and the cities, which were straight out of Catan. Yeah. <laughs> the houses were very dull. I didn't mind the flat dragon cutout, but yeah, a dragon mini would have been way better. Yeah, with some flames coming out of his face and Maybe stuff. Maybe an extra $10, $15 to the price of the game, too. Well, but well that's why you, you make expansions available for these <laughs> sorts of things. I think this is the boldest colors I've ever seen on wooden meeples. I really like the, the cheap gold wheat and noble meeples. Those were all uh, well chosen for what they represented. Yeah, I love that the, mm. the noble meeples were purple and fat. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Chewy. They gave you two health when you chomped on a noble. Yeah, because all that fatty goodness. Yep. I liked the way you moved around the board. It's just a pie-shaped board, which could have been cooler if it had maps. But you can run this whole game without ever actually using the move action, which costs a sheep to do. Mm -hmm. You have to eat one of your game point resources to actually yeah. move to a different space. But that requires really good timing and planning to pull that off, because often... You're not going to get in the location you want to be. So sometimes you want to be next to where you need to be so you can move right. in there later when that dragon leaves. Because normally, only one dragon on a piece of pie at a time. You have to go beyond just looking at your cards. You have to plan ahead. And I was just doing what looked most beneficial from my cards. Like if I had a card that gave me a benefit of two wheat in one location or something like that, then I'd just go there and do that because it seemed like the best thing to do. But if you don't plan ahead, you're not going to get those bonuses that you're going to need. None of these cards even oh are at all meaningful to me. The Bard of Scandia means nothing to you? I'm the Bard of Scandia. La, la, la. <laughs> <laughs> I play a really happy tune. La, 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 la. Yeah, and you really got to keep track of what your opponents are doing, too, because you have to have 
the most or second most of a resource to actually get any points for it at all. And if you tie for one of those places, you have to split that with everybody who tied with you. And that's really hard because people are storing their sheep and their nobles and things behind a screen. So you lose track very easily of who has what and what resource someone is actually going for. And I think that's very intentional. I was intrigued that dragons can actually get scratched up when tangling with some of the bigger cities. You know, it was uh, interesting that there was a hit point meter on there and that the dragons did have to mine their hit points. Well, the bigger cities, oh no, they have arrows, oh! Yeah, that was very cool. You took more damage the bigger place you attacked. Yeah, it's just like anything else that you're trying to get points for. It takes one of your resources, in this case, the resource is your health. I felt the theme heavily in this game, and that's what I enjoyed the most about this essentially resource gathering game. I really like the theme. Just even the choice of calling the different round centuries. That was very immersive for some reason, the fact that each turn was supposed to take a century. Well, nobles just don't grow fat in a day, you know? It takes <laughs> many years for them to fatten up. Well, you just got done eating a noble family, burning the fields and burning it in a couple towns. I mean, it takes uh, some time to regrow. Uh, I certainly hope you're going to taste better than your grandfather did. <laughs> <laughs> you got to let the humans have their stories of how they drove the dragons out, when really what happened was you just ate and burned everything you could and left because you were bored. And after we decimated them each century, I really liked the randomness of how the cities regrew. Each city grows a little differently each century based on what cards you flip over for that. And that's really cool. It was sort of like watching a um, time-lapse photography of the city growing. The mechanic of how they do it is pretty interesting because there's a splay of cards that you can pick from as one of your actions during the turn. But on the back side of the card is the place that will regain some of its cities and resources. Yeah, so the card had a twofold purpose. When I first got dealt them, I'm like, I was a little confused because the back of the card says one country's name, which has to do with rebuilding the city, but you flip it over and it has a completely different country's name. And I keep flipping them back and forth. I'm like, what? Germania? <laughs> Slavia? Germania? Slavia? What? Yeah, it was a little tricky at first, but once you get the hang of it, it, yeah. it, was, it was a cool way to save uh, cards. Mm-hmm. Another nice little piece of the theme that the art on the player screens I thought was really nice. Love the art of this game. I thought all the art was really was cool and interesting to look at. A little bit of criticism could be some of the symbology on some of the cards, like Bard Tale, for example, was a little harder to understand what it meant and could use a little clarifying text on the card itself, like the Valent Knight did, which told you, oh, you need to attack something first in order to get this benefit. Hold on, hold on. Ed, are you complaining about the symbology of a game? Is that what's happening here? After what you've put they, us through? I, I really like the symbology of the game for the most part, too. But even I needed to check what the heck did Bartail mean and look in the rule book. Wow, Ed. You never complain about symbology. <laughs> Ever. Ed, you've made us play Demacher. I thought leveling up your dragon was really fun to do. Like, that's all I really wanted to do during the game. But then I hit the maximum level of four and I couldn't level anymore. But um, each time you get a level, you get to add a new ability Right, to make your dragon a little bit more uh, resilient and, you know, easier to heal, for example. So yeah, a little bit more or, majestic. Or, or a special ability or more action when you get to level yeah. four. Yeah. I loved how different things opened up each century. Uh, that was actually a lot of fun because it, it basically expanded the shopping store of what you could pick at the beginning. And I love shopping, so. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> Joe, I know you didn't like the fact that the humans really did not have any chance to fight back in this game. 
Well, I mean, it's not a game between... It's not like there's a human player and a dragon player. That would be a different game. But overall, the struggle between the humans and the dragons seemed awfully static. I mean, individual dragons might rise above the other dragons and outshine the other dragons. But, I mean, really, humanity's going to continue the way it does, and the dragons are going to continue the way they do. The the fight didn't have any randomness at all to it, like which in that part of the game might have been interesting if the humans were fighting back, like you said, and you had an unpredictable outcome for what happens when you attack a village. Yeah, that probably could have been solved with just a die roll during the health check on how much health you lose when you attack a certain city or village. Well, I mean, those those are all great points, but I mean... What seemed to me to be the the hook about this game for really experienced gamers is that it's a it's resource no destruction instead of resource management, and it would have been really ambitious to try and keep the elements that were there that some people enjoy about the game as is, and also really you know have I don't know bands of knights or adventurers or wizards or something fighting the dragons. I mean, I, I'm not sure if that but, would have but worked. Joe. Man versus dragon is in a fight. It's a slaughter. <laughs> <laughs> Joe just uh, wanted to put some faces to the slaughter. Like, he's nice. a wizard. Burninated. <laughs> oh, sorry. Wrong game. <laughs> the game. I think the game, though, is complex enough as is. You know, that would be um, that would be a different game if yeah, you had right. the humans somehow going back against the dragons. Well, that would actually become like a war game, I think, Evan. You're right. Well, at least it would be like that until the invention of the guy didn't miss it. <laughs> oh, good point. Good point. We do point. go for centuries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the Abrams uh, M2 tank. Yeah. Yeah, that's another thing, too, is they keep calling them different centuries, but there was no real evolution of the humans throughout that whole time. That's because they kept getting eaten. <laughs> Tech-wise, from the first century and the sixth century AD, there wasn't much going on. I wouldn't say that the technological advancements in the periods of time that we refer to as the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages were non-existent. There was actually a lot of technological advancement going on, but... Uh, not enough to kill a dragon? Not enough to kill a dragon, no. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, it would have been just nice to see that centuries-long evolution of the humans. The... Well, I, well I, one thing I did notice is that later in the centuries, they start building cities faster. When I woke up on that 6th century, I'm like, what the what? Where did all these cities come from? Yeah, we completely leveled one of those territories, and we came back, and there was like two major cities in there again already. <laughs> okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or burn Wrath of Dragons. Ed? While parts of the theme and the mechanics are a little bit generic, I was drawn in by the decision presented by the game, and will dig it up for some more destruction. Joe? It looks to me almost like the designers were trying to avoid making the game too interesting. Uh, I don't think there's anything special here. I'd bury it. Evan? I liked the choices. Lots of paths to victory, very replayable, and dragons. So dig it up. <laughs> Mike? There's a fair amount of stuff to do, but none of it felt super dragon-like to me. But if I don't think too much about how I missed the theme, it's a decent game for its category. So for that reason, I'll dig it up. Even though it may have felt thematically unoriginal, I did like the way the mechanics of this game engaged with the familiar, terrifying medieval dragon story. So I'm definitely digging it up. I enjoyed it. Evan, where can you find it? Online stores, conventional game stores, about $50. If you have thoughts about Wrath of Dragons, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our next game up this week is 
Trogdor, the board game designed by the Brothers Chap and James Ernest. Published by Harmless Junk Inc. 2018. Number of players, 1 to 6, ages 14 and up. Playtime, 30 to 60 minutes. When we found this game on the bookshelf at the Cheats Light Switch Rave, what were our first thoughts? Mike? It's going to take a lot to capture the goofy awesomeness of Trogdor and still make a decent game of it. Evan? Hello, my name is Evan Burninatestein. Ed? Burninating is similar to destruction. But much hotter. Joe? We're setting up a board of 25 terrain squares into a larger 5 by 5 square. Maybe we should go for the corners. You can play characters with names like Galgabudge and Stonklore. Pretty sure Strongbat himself designed this game. But before we test our skills of a dragon, Evan, tell us how it's played. Trogdor is a co-op game where each player takes the role of a heroic Keeper of Trogdor, aiding the dragon in any way they can. Each Keeper of Trogdor gets a special power, a special item card, and an action card. While Trogdor is mighty, he can certainly use the help because archers, knights, and the fearsome Troghammers are all gunning for him. 25 tiles represent forest, fields, and cottages. Your keeper can move Trogdor across tiles in an attempt to burninate them on your turn. Trogdor may also burninate peasants or chomp them to build up his health on the trogometer. When Trogdor burninates a tile, it's flipped over to the side of the tile that shows a scorched version of the same area. All the while, enemies of Trogdor, such as knights and the troghammer, are moving around the board trying to cross paths with Trogdor so they can attack him. If Trogdor burninates all the tiles, he and the keepers win. But if Trogdor takes damage from his enemies when his trogometer is empty, then the game is over and Trogdor loses. Or so you think. Because the tables have turned. If the keepers fail to win, Trogdor unleashes a final fiery rage in which five movement cards are drawn and Trogdor follows their trail in a rampage. Any tile or cottage Trogdor comes across will be burninated. If Trogdor finishes the job of burninating the remaining tiles during that final fiery rampage, then he still wins. Trogdor doesn't die. Trogdor just runs off the board and rage quits. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, his final stomp could do the job. We were kind of counting on it in our game. Oh, we came so close. We're so close. We failed so as close. the keepers. Uh, <laughs> but it was close. Oh, it was so yep. close. Well, if yeah. we ever review horseshoes or hand grenades, we, we can talk about close. But <laughs> until then, we lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the rampage was so fun at the end. It mm-hmm. is, because the thing just like it goes crazy moving all over the board. Like 25 <laughs> moves in the weird directions. And it's insane. I had fun oh, yeah. every time a movement card came up. I yeah. did, too. I love the movement card. I mean, burning a peasant and watching it run across the ground, burning everything as it went. It was so fun. Evan had the most epic turn where he burninated a peasant, which, burninated, <laughs> which caught another peasant on fire, sent him running into another peasant... <laughs> I call that domino burnination. Domination, <laughs> for short. 
the language that was used in the game is so specific. You never call a cottage anything other than a thatch roof cottage. <laughs> <laughs> All they needed to say would burninate the countryside, burninate the peasants. And burninate yep. all the thatch roof cottages. That's all the rules yep. you need to know. Yeah. yeah, those are actually the wind conditions, too. <laughs> That's the exact wind conditions. You have to burninate the peasants, the countryside, and all the thatch roof cottages to win. <laughs> it was definitely on theme. In fact, the I was a little bit worried about these keepers of Trogdor, because I had never mm-hmm. heard of them in the Trogiverse before. <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, where'd these things come from? Who invented this? But when I started reading the actual descriptions on the Keeper's cards, the comedy that was involved was very on theme. It yeah. felt to me like Strong Bad himself had written the cards. I, 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 I just, I, I, I just wanted it? to get out a that couple nights a week. Hunch Gurgler! Hunch Gurgler smash! And um, everybody, I uh, brought a ring of VoIP. VoIP. Yeah, you knew the brothers' chaps were very much involved in the design of the game because their humor showed in every component of the game. And so for that reason alone, it was exciting to see new humor coming from that world. If for anybody who doesn't know where Trogdor comes from, it comes from a five-minute or so online-only cartoon from 15 years ago. Oh, more than 15. (laughs) Like 20 years ago. So... The fact that it's stuck in our all of our brains from the early days of the internet is testament enough that it deserves an expansion of its universe. And this was a delightful expansion. And the components reflect that. These components are boss. I'm particularly impressed by the dragon that looks like a giant planarian or maybe a flounder. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, the Esses for Sucks dragon is my personal favorite. <laughs> uh, anyone who's ever seen the original you know, Flash production of it will know what I'm talking about. The rulebook itself was so well designed. It read like an episode of, of Homestar Runner in a sense. <laughs> it, and it's just fun to flip those pages and look at the artwork in there. It, you know, yes, it explains the rules and everything, but it's just as I don't maybe almost as much fun as playing the game itself. I had a ball with it. I like the graphic design of having like masking tape on the rule book and then written Sharpie to make corrections. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were a little bit spoiled because some of the components that we got were because my friend Aaron Russo, whose game it is, thank you, Russo. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you. Aaron. But he got like a more deluxe version from Kickstarter. So he got some of those cooler like miniatures and stuff like that. That was special. And the miniatures are really nice. I particularly like putting the little flaming hat on the peasant. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, when you burn an atom, there's like a little piece that fits on top of the meeple. And it's like a, or the mini in this case, that looks like a flame and that sets them off running. Yeah. And that's not I, the end of the Optimist. The thatch roof cottages, <laughs> the roof turned off and you flip it over. It's a flaming roof. Nice. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And I loved the wooden meeples, though, that come with the basic set. I mean, I I think I might have liked them more. And I know that's an unbelievable thing to say when the game came with minis. But because this material comes originally from a Flash cartoon, that flat 2D animation is closer to the original product. So to me, it was really exciting to have a physical meeple that looked just like the cartoon. Plus, you can sneak it in with your other games that have meeples, too. And they'll be like, what the heck is that? It's like a burning peasant in the middle of my game. <laughs> I mean, and archaeologists have recently you know, found like 
evidence of this and some of the, uh, uh, I know, slate patterns, uh, like under Stonehenge or wherever it was. Uh, I mean, this oh, game no. is a precisely detailed simulation of defending Dark Elves that drew settlements from Draconic Attack. I'm particularly impressed with the game's attention to precise detail and historical accuracy uh, <laughs> with regard to yeah. the development and deployment of the very first Troghammers. Well, uh, I didn't realize we were playing a fact-based game, okay? I didn't know. We were taking a trip into history, obviously. This new world-class game is also going to be at the WBC, along with all the other historical war game simulations. <laughs> I was very scared of the enemies in this game. I was worried for Trogdor all the time as a, <laughs> as a loyal keeper of Trogdor. Is it because they can like warp off one side of the board and appear on the other? Yes! They're so dangerous. They could just show up in Trogdor's face from out of nowhere. It's yeah. true. Yeah. The, nowhere is safe. Yeah, the movement cards were very scary. Every time they got flipped, you're like, where's he going to go? Where's that knight going to go? Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, the game had a ton of random things that were happening, but for some reason that felt way more appropriate and fun for a game like this. Usually the randomness bugs me, but here it was great. Nothing is more on point for Trogdor than randomness. Even the song, when, when Strongbat is writing it in the cartoon, is totally random. He changes the lyrics as he goes. Wait, maybe he was just a dragon. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's In this game, too, though, the, the instinct to burn the peasants is really strong because they run around the board lighting a whole bunch of stuff on fire, saving you turns. But you got to be careful because eating the peasants is how you keep your health up. So when those yeah, guys yeah. shoot you or stab you, that's how you get your health back is by eating a peasant. Unless you have special items, which will sometimes yeah. allow you the benefit of both burning the peasant and chomping at the same time. It's like Trogdor follows the burning peasant around until he's done burning, then chomps him. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, the item well cards done. are the item cards are actually important. They do give you yeah. some special things that you're going to need to to achieve victory in the game. Yeah, I love the comedy of of the item cards and the keeper cards. They, the, everything in this game that's written is. Excellent comedy. <laughs> really on theme comedy. Yeah, and I mean, some of the cards you use are outrageously powerful seeming, like move seven times this turn, but you actually really <laughs> need it. And somehow crazy cards like that fell into the balance of this game to make it a really nicely balanced game. Yeah. I felt mighty when I was helping <laughs> Trogdor and very, very frightened when it was <laughs> with, the bad guy's turn. With mm -hmm. a theme this strong, it's really easy to let mechanics and balance go by the wayside. And they did not do that here. Yeah, I was concerned, but I thought they did a great job. Get them, James Ernest. Yeah. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or burn on a Trogdor. Mike? It plays really well, keeps everybody engaged, and all the while captures the spirit of Trogdor the Burninator. So I say, dig it up. Evan? Homestar Runner fans will adore this, no questions asked. For everyone else, this cooperative game is fun. Dig it up. Ed? Like many co-op games, you can suffer from a little bit of quarterbacking, but it captures all the fun and awesomeness you would expect from playing Trogdor. So dig it up. Joe? I'm not only digging this up, I'm also making it the central subject of the thesis for my doctorate in Burning Nation Studies. See y'all in a few years. <laughs> I loved the extension of the Trogdorverse with new comedy and characters, and the play was pretty good too. Dig it up. Ed, where can you find it? Kickstarter backers should be getting their copies soon, and hopefully they should be in retail stores later this year. 
If you have thoughts about Trogdor, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And our last game up this week is Iron Dragon, designed by Darwin Bromley and Tom Wham, published by Mayfair Games in 1994. Number of players, 2 to 6, ages 12 and up. Playtime, 2 to 4 hours. Okay, when we tunneled into the Dwarven Mountains and found this game, what were our first thoughts? Mike? Oh, wow. So many tiny dots and a crayon. Ed, what have you done? Uh, (laughs) Evan? According to the box cover, an Iron Dragon is a train engine car in the shape of a dragon. Okay, then. Ed? Trains in a fantasy land with dragon, potions, and spells? What, they use magic to make steel track? Joe? I like that towns and cities are clustered together on the map according to the initial letter of their names. It should help me find stuff. I feel like elven and dwarven train models should have cooler names than teapot. But before we all get aboard, Evan, tell us how it's played. In Iron Dragon, genetically engineered dragons pull trains across dangerous lands filled with elves, cat people, trolls, and magic. (laughs) Yep, you heard that right. Connect cities, fight off forest creatures, and explore the underground to build a railroad empire. Players compete to create an extensive and profitable rail network using crayons to draw their rail lines on the game board itself and use their existing rail lines to pick up and deliver commodities for payouts dictated by cards. Iron Dragon introduces Foreman, which reduce terrain building costs, and ships, which allow trains to cross the sea between continents, avoiding bottlenecks on land. Be the first to build an extensive network and amass 250 gold for the win. Genetically engineered dragons. Yeah. Pulling trains. <laughs> that's, that's, that is how they get to be iron. That is insanely 1990s fantasy writing right (laughs) there it's like a sci-fi fantasy mashup yeah (laughs) man looking at this board i was so intimidated it was just like tiny dots and triangles and yikes but they give you a crayon to draw on a game board yeah (laughs) you get to mark the game board up every time you play yeah that's right Mm -hmm. i was writing all sorts of stuff on that board I did not think it was going to work. I looked at this board. It looked like a regular board. I'm like, you could draw on it with crayon and it wipes off. It's laminated. And it totally worked. And I loved it. Drawing with the crayon was definitely the most fun part of this game. (laughs) Well, my crayon was like really dull. So I had like the double wide train. It was kind of hard to go between (laughs) those tiny dots with it. (laughs) It was. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Ed had the original crayons that came with the game. I did, did, did. Oh, those things were down to the nub. Yeah. And some of the crayon colors don't stand out very well on the board. I'm looking at you, yellow. Yeah, yellow. <laughs> the unused yellow crayon. Everything else is like is like two centimeters yeah. long. Yeah, you see full of full crayon there in my back there, but like the the blue down to like a little nub. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so immediately when I saw my cards that I had to choose from, I saw one that was worth far more points to connect the two lines from. And of course, I initially started going for that one, which was delivering magical spells from one place to another across the sea. Now, that could be a tricky thing to do because you start off with only 60 gold and you could run out of money before you get there. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, and if that yeah. happens, you're just stuck, right? There's no way to earn extra gold without having a train going back and forth. You can't get stuck, but you can always get new cards and you can hire boats if you still have some at least a little money. If you did build some track and then another player w- decides to use your track on one of their deliveries, then you do collect money from the player who you're yeah. helping out with your track. Yeah, a little rental charge, yeah. yeah. Let's just talk for a minute about the theme and the art of this game. The theme is pretty extensive, uh, but do you guys think it's well reflected in the actual mechanics of the game? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the basic mechanics are based on Empire Builder, which is an original crayon game released in 1982. But there are many, many spin-off games with different geography, like British Rails, Australia Rails, or Russian Rails. And there's even some fantastic landscapes, which we played, Iron Dragon. But there's also the moon and Mars you can play on. (laughs) So many goods to deliver on the moon. (laughs) (laughs) But for this game, what they introduced was two rules that are not in the other games. One of them is foreman. So these are people you could hire to help run your train and make building different types of track cheaper. Or in some cases, like for the orc, you get to collect toll from other players for running in the underground. It's a good reminder of how far we have come in the gaming industry (laughs) uh, with art. Because back in the early 90s, you know, these smaller games were like pencil drawn sketches of characters. And that's about it. You know, black ink, if you were lucky. And then a whole bunch of dots, triangles and stars, little asterisks on the board, plus a bunch of tiny text talking about the items, the goods that you can travel with from place to place. And don't forget the names of the places, Celeste. Uh, 500 different names of totally made-up, wacky-named yes. locations. <laughs> so this yeah. game is imagination required or imagination not included? I'm not sure. <laughs> but the cover of the game is actually done by Larry Elmore. Whoa. Oh, Dungeons & Dragons, Big Larry guns. Elmore. Yeah. Finally. I, okay, I'm connecting something here. Good, good, good. <laughs> the yeah. cover art is... is um, is maybe false advertising? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it looked like to me. Well, what it looks like a train, a dragon train running on a track. It looked good to me. It's a dragon but, train, or maybe it's just a dragon. <laughs> right. Burninate the countryside as a deliver cargo. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why I, I my when I said my initial thought was, according to the box cover, an Iron Dragon is a train engine car in the shape of a dragon. I had no idea it had anything to do with magic and spells and races and what. And, and more <laughs> like, importantly, just transporting goods. Yeah. <laughs> All that genetically mutating dragons just to deliver fish from two, <laughs> to between two locations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and they're, they're still... Pretty big oceans in the game. I mean, not not as big as on Earth, but you know, there's a lot of water yeah. out there, and there's only like two place, two three places you can get fish from. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Which introduces one of the other new concepts in the game. It's a boat, which you can use a boat to help carry your uh, cargo around without using any track. Yeah, but why did you take a dragon who can already fly and then mutate it to only <laughs> go on the ground and then have to take a boat? Into it. <laughs> we, we genetically engineered flightless dragons. <laughs> Yay, congratulations. What a great <laughs> development for science. <laughs> dragons were... I thought that 
they just built their trains to look like dragons and that they were still made out of steel and stuff. Uh, no, Joe. An iron dragon is a genetically engineered dragon. <laughs> right? Yeah. Says so right in the rule book. Joe, you have to go further than the than the Larry Elmore artwork on the cover of the box in order to get that. <laughs> We're teasing the theme, but if you know it's an Empire Builder series game, it's it's a perfectly adequate version of that. <laughs> Actually, everything's in there exactly as you expect it would be. And then they released a new printing in 2017, which updated a lot of the art and the graphics of the game. I was going to say, does it have sketch art and clip art? Is it still a four-hour <laughs> slog, though? I mean, you know. <laughs> Definitely not for everybody, but a lot of people like these train games. Oh, they're very popular. And they never really go in and out of style. Does anyone remember the awful green things from outer space? That was also Tom Wham. Awful green things from outer space? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yep. Yes, I do. Holy cow. Well, where, where, why aren't we playing that one? Well, we probably will. It was out of print for a while, and then it came back in, I think. It's also an imagination-required game. But I remember having a lot of fun with that game. We, we should play it. Uh, the great Tom Wham, creator of the awful green things from outer space, was published from the same series of Gaiden games that began in 1971 with Chainmail, a medieval miniature war game created by Jeff Perrin and Gary Gygax, who went on to publish another popular RPG whose name I can't remember just now. Yeah. Something, I think it has a letter D in, or a couple, I don't know, double D, something yeah. like it's that. It's definitely not on the theme for what we're talking about today, though. So let's let's stick to dragons. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> ah, back to the dungeon. <laughs> yes. This game does have some rules which are really common to all the different games of its ilk. Like, uh, rails can't cross over each other, so you really spend a lot of time going around people or, you know, trying to block them in or to carve out your own territory to get your roots going. Well, you can cross over the track. You just can't lay overlay the same exact route. Unless you buy the special 3D version of the game in which you can build above <laughs> each other. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't be bad, actually. That would be kind of fun for a rail game to have a 3D component where you build bridges over each other's rails. Runtime, 12 days. Dragon trains <laughs> ought to be able to go up, shouldn't they? Dragons should be able to fly. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, do you think they didn't put a lot of thought into the story or they just did that for comic value? Uh, I didn't sense comedy uh. here. <laughs> But no, I don't think there's comedy. any comedy going on. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Iron Dragon. Joe? Growing up, I loved this game so much. I actually wrote my own rules to combine it with D&D by making it my campaign setting. I also statted the Iron Dragon train foreman with character sheets. Oh, see, now that's interesting. <laughs> that's my personal reason for digging this up. I treasure this game. Evan? I like strategy games in which resources must be carefully planned, and this is one of them. I'm just not sure if a three to four hour game can hold that type of enjoyment for me. I'm going to bury it. Mike? I know it's a classic. I know the theme is great, but... For some reason, I just can't see myself playing this for four hours, so I have to bury it. Ed? It's the classic crayon game, but with new mechanics that add a great new twist and choices that add to the game charming longevity. So I'm going to dig this up. Thank you, guys. 
You get to draw on a game board with crayon, look at black and white cards jammed with tiny text while frustratingly failing within mere steps of your goal. It was actually lots of fun. Dig it up. <laughs> wow. Ed? The newest edition of this game can be found at game stores and retailers for about 60 bucks. If you have thoughts about Iron Dragon, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. If you'd like more perks and content from our show, including our brand new podcast, The Post Show, for just $3 a month, you can go to our website and click on Become a Supporter Today. If you get a chance, please leave us a rating or review anywhere online. It really helps others find the show. Join our chat on our Discord server. We are at Which Game First, and our Patreon supporters get access to exclusive channels. Happy gaming, explorers! Time to go frolic in the autumn mist of Hanalee. <laughs> <laughs>